we are going to visit today with Dr. Jack Russell Weinstein. He is the host of Why Philosophical Discussions About Everyday Life, and he joins us once a month to talk about philosophical currents. This is a segment that we have where we get a philosopher's point of view on some of the biggest news stories. Jack, thanks for joining us today. Oh, I'm really happy to be here as always. Well, what we want to focus on today is the fact that Netflix is taking a lot of heat. There has been a lot of discussion these days about the most recent Dave Chappelle comedy special called The Closer, getting a lot of reaction from people in the LBGTQIA plus community, a lot of people uh, who are speaking out about the content. So let's talk First, about the broader picture here, which is the role of comedy in addressing social issues. Now, Jack, you and I have both seen the special. We are not here to necessarily critique him as a comedian, but this idea here that telling jokes about a marginalized community can go two ways. It can be offensive and damaging, or it can open up a conversation. So what did you think about the special from those two perspectives? First off, those two things are not mutually exclusive, right? I mean, it can be damaging and offensive and open up a conversation. And in fact, a lot of things are those two things, because when things are damaging and offensive, they also open wounds, they reveal fissures in society, they inspire a reaction. And I think that on some level, the Chappelle special is doing those things, all of those things. But I also think that the critics have misrepresented the show and in particular what comedy has become. Hmm. The, the great criticism is he tells offensive jokes and the response by his defenders are he has a right to tell offensive jokes. But comedy specials, especially politically motivated comedy specials like this one, often follow a narrative, a construction, and they have to be taken as a whole rather than as individual parts. And this very much does that. He starts off with a philosophical problem. I'm going to try not to be too spoilery because I think that people should watch it and make the judgment for themselves. But he starts off with this philosophical problem because he tells the story of of an entertainer. I think he's a rapper or a comedian. I'm not sure. DeBaby, right? I didn't follow this controversy. But he tells the story of DeBaby who's being canceled. And he um, he talks about how DeBaby actually killed a person in Walmart. Mm -hmm. And he says this didn't affect his career at all. But then he said some offensive things and he was under great risk. And so he asked this question, why is offending people worse than killing someone? And that's the frame of his entire discussion. He later on asks again, why is it easier for someone to change their He says gender, I would say sex, uh, to change their sex. uh, Why is it easier to change your sex than it is for Cassius Clay to change his name, right? Throughout the special, he asks questions that he's trying to answer and trying to make sense of. And so to take two or three quote-unquote offensive jokes and use them to undermine the special is to misrepresent what comedy has become. It's to misrepresent art. And I think it's not fair to him as a performer and as a creator, even if he did cross some lines that maybe he wasn't supposed to. Well, in each of those examples that you gave of DeBaby killing a man at a Walmart um, and his career not 
suffering very much. Uh, he he killed a black man, and in the case of changing gender or sex versus um, changing a name, again, Cassius Clay changing the name to Muhammad Ali, he is a black man. And and he is making this case still, uh, I, I feel like, that he's talking about the marginalization of people in the LBGTQIA plus community and, and the marginalization of people who are black and saying that in this case <laughs> – Talking about how the reactions have been very, very different. And I wonder, is he playing what people might call the oppression Olympics here? Like, it's hard for you, but look, it's harder for me. And and is there a role for that? So underlying your question is one of the great philosophical questions of our time, which is, when you talk about one marginalized group, do you have to talk about all of them or can you talk about a specific group and then sort of put other people on the side? It is very common to say that when one person is in chains, no one is free. And 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 in recent times, we've had a separation of those ideas that, well, we're going to focus on this group. We're going to focus on that group. We're going to see who suffers the most. And in some senses – that's very, very helpful. In some senses, it's not. It's not helpful when it erases other people's suffering and when it marginalizes people further. But it can be helpful when we say, look, we're not talking about this group right now. Let's have a conversation about being black in America because that's what we're talking about right now. Tomorrow we can talk about being a woman in America mm. or tomorrow we can talk about being gay in America. Let's talk about being black in America right now or, you know, Conversely, let's talk about being gay in America and we'll talk about black being black in America tomorrow. How much of those two things overlap? Philosophers, feminists, political scientists, activists have struggled with this. They use the word intersectionality to talk about how uh, different identities overlap. But what Chappelle is really explicit about in, in his discussion is that he is representing black voices and that he is talking to the white community and – the LGBTQ stuff that he says is largely to be framed in that context and that that the people who are criticizing him, he thinks, just aren't listening carefully. Now, he may be wrong. He may misunderstand what he's doing or there may be unintended consequences of what he's doing. But he is trying to speak of a specific experience that he has spoken of in his entire career, and he feels, again, rightly or wrongly, uh, you have to decide for yourself, but he feels that he is being stepped on because he's talking about one thing when other people accuse him of saying something else. Who gets to determine what's offensive? Well, that depends what you mean by that question, right? <laughs> who gets who gets to term who gets to determine what what's offensive? People get determined for themselves if they are offended, right? Mm -hmm. Something is offensive if you are offended, and so that's an individual decision. That's an emotion, just like you get to decide if something is attractive or if something is funny or if something is scary, right? I mean, you know, my dog is is scared of vacuum cleaners, but will you know? jump off of a bridge if he's in the mood, right? I mean, that, all that stuff is is personal. But 
the question you're asking is a larger public policy question, which is who gets to decide the consequences of something being mm. offensive? Who gets to decide who's allowed to say what publicly? And that's an ongoing debate that separates based on whether it's a, a government entity or a private entity. That's a huge issue here. If this were publicly funded work, if this were a public school, there would be different standards than the fact that Chappelle is a private citizen selling tickets to, to voluntary buyers who signed a contract to a private company that people have to choose to subscribe to, right? All that sort of stuff. It's a very different thing. We, as a as a community, have gone back and forth as to what's offensive and what's not. And, and, and a clear example, and I actually just talked to my students about this uh, a couple of days ago, when, when we use the phrase the N-word, for, for much of my career, I would say that word out loud, um, especially if we were you know talking about racism or I was reading a text and it used that word. We were talking about Huckleberry Finn, among other things, on, on Tuesday, and that word is used in the text. And I would historically read that out loud. But in the last couple of years, our, our, our culture has changed its opinion on that, and a bunch of research has come out to say that the use of the word, in, in, even in educational contexts, causes serious um, trauma and anguish for some people. I actually mm. talked about this on one of the episodes of Why. And so I changed my mind, and I decided, you know what, look. I'm not going to be the person who says, no, I refuse to cross this line. It's not that important to me, and it's much more important to err on the side of safety. And so I, do, I don't do something today that I would have done something three, four years ago because something today is deemed more offensive than it was three or four years ago. And so I think it's a floating it, – it, it's, it's a shifting target, and – Part of what comedy does is redefine it, right? I mean, another example that the the television show South Park, um, the very first episode of South Park has one of the the, the, uh, the kids, Kyle, who's in fourth grade, aliens come and uh, insert a radar dish in his rectum, right? I mean, it's South Park, so it's not the high, highest level comedy. But <laughs> and and I remember talking to my students about that, and I said, how long, you know. How long have we been able to joke about um, anal rape of a four year uh, uh, of a fourth grader? Mm. And the answer is 12 hours. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, South Park crossed that line and allowed those kind of jokes in a certain kind of context. Dave Chappelle um, and other comedians, you know, Eddie Murphy famously did this. Richard Pryor famously did this. Um, all push these boundaries and say, look, some of these things are offensive, but I'm going to make them not offensive in order to further the conversation, or I'm going to intentionally offend in order to press your buttons, in order to make a point that furthers the conversation. And that is clearly what Dave Chappelle is doing, because every time he crosses that line, he stops and he has this little smirk, right? Yeah. And he says, you know, I'm going all the way. He says that like four or five times during mm -hmm. the show. I'm it's going to get the way. a lot worse than that. Yeah, that's right. And so he's doing it on purpose. And I think there has to be different standards for offending people on purpose and offending people by accident. But I think there also has to be different standards for offending people on purpose for a point and offending people on purpose to start a fight. Yeah, a little like the ends justify the means, but with more nuance. 
Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I think that nuance is everything. And in comedy, that nuance is everything yeah. because it's about timing. You know, there are a lot of uh, jokes that he told that landed that wouldn't have landed if his co- if his timing was were different. Yeah. There are jokes that didn't land that in a different crowd might have landed. And so nuance, you know, that's what makes something funny. That sarcasm, uh, irony, right? All of these things that we have so much trouble talking about on the internet are difficult to talk about because they take those subtleties and those subtleties make all the difference. Mm -hmm. Well, he certainly does have a lot of people talking about this. I mean, even after watching the special and doing a little bit of reading to prepare for this, there are articles that go back, you know, to the very beginning of October when this special first came out and then they have kept up this conversation for three weeks, which in Western culture, 24-hour news cycle, (laughs) is a lot. You know, the very first thing he does is make fun of people who die of COVID, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. he he, he comes out swinging, so to speak. He's got uh, a a recurring joke, which is definitely borderline anti-Semitic, although it, it, it caters to a certain political point of view. He is incredibly misogynistic throughout the show and that's getting very very little attention although he is right. doing it Thank intentionally you, for that. you know well, I mean he's doing it intentionally and he knows he's doing it but but it's you know it's 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 seriously sexist in a lot of very very traditional ways he 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 makes fun of the black community right he does all of these sorts of things so it's great that a lot of people are talking about it, but you have to remember that a lot of people still talk about some of his earlier work, right? His famous skit of being a blind black man in the KKK who doesn't know he's black is one of the classic mm. comic uh, skits of all, you know, the, the one of the best and funniest things of all time and still incredibly insightful about culture. And so, you know, one of the questions we have to ask about comedy is – how long is it supposed to last, right? Do you want uh, a comedy special that has a shelf life of six months or a year? Um, or do you want a comedy special that, that is going to be rewatched in 10 years? The, the, mm. the sex advice columnist um, Dan Savage, ta- when he's talking about Dave Chappelle, he talks about the Eddie Murphy album um, Notorious and talks about how it's full of anti-gay humor that doesn't land anymore that even Eddie Murphy himself says uh, I don't want to watch this anymore it makes me cringe I'm embarrassed that I did those jokes when culture changes the comedy that people do if that doesn't hold up then it it becomes worse than not funny. It becomes brutal. I mean, mm. look, you've tried, I am sure, to watch old 1980s sitcoms. I mean, I'm older than you, so maybe it's 1990s sitcoms for you. But I look at the, the 1970s and 1980s sitcoms that I loved as a kid, and I'm like, how could I this watch this? Different Strokes, which was the most popular show on television, is so painful. you know. And there's sitcom after sitcom after sitcom because what we call comedy itself changes because what's funny is very, very context dependent. Are there, uh, are there standup routines that stand the test of time? Absolutely. But they're very few and far between. Well, and can't a person make the argument that the reason they don't stand the test of time is because at that moment they were breaking barriers and making it okay to talk about this kind of thing and broadened out this conversation to the point that now 
it looks cringeworthy? Is that a fair argument to make? I think that is, and I think that a lot of comics are trying to play that role. I think, you know, I think Dave Chappelle would like nothing more than his uh, jokes to be obsolete. I mean, he mm-hmm. says something along those lines at the end of the show, but I'm not going to go into that because it's actually a very moving discussion. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think, right – uh, <laughs> I don't want to. I, I don't want to go into the parental discussion, uh, the, the discussion of, of, of paternalism here. But I, I often tell my students, right, the hardest thing about being a parent is teaching your child not to need you anymore. Right. right. That, that the whole your whole job of a parent is to become obsolete. And I think that comedy, in part, is doing that same thing, and it's doing it in a way that allows us to say, to think, to confront things that scare us. And a lot of the stuff that Chappelle does in his career is stuff that terrifies people. And it terrifies people because injustice terrifies people, but it terrifies people also because they're scared that if they say it, they're going to be attacked. If they say it, they're going to be uh, accused of, of of being racist or, or transphobic phobic or, or what have you. I mean, you know, there is a part of me as an academic who is nervous about defending the special because there may be people who come after me. Right. Mm-hmm. And so a comic's job is to, is to take the role, is to take over our fears and disarm them in a way that allows us both to laugh and to learn from. And he may have been unsuccessful in doing that. Time will tell and people have to make judgments for themselves. But that's what he's trying to do. He is not offending for the sake of offending. He is participating in a conversation and he's trying to frame the conversation in a certain way. And, and we just have to see if that works or not. You know, I'm thinking back to a discussion we had earlier where you talked about how you used to show the movie The Birdcage in your classroom, which has a gay couple in it. And it used to be kind of a big deal. And then you had to stop showing that because nobody cared anymore that there were gay people portrayed as full humans on movie screens. And I'm wondering, are we at that point in comedy, though, where making fun of marginalized groups, being misogynistic, being transphobic, are we getting to that point where now it's just a trope? Well, I think it's always been a trope. I think that it's always been um, used for cheap humor. Hmm. I think that Historically, though, it's been used to laugh at people rather than laugh with people or for people. And we have in the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years shifted to a a comedic position that you are allowed to make fun of your own group, but you're not allowed to make fun of other people's groups. Mm. And that feels kind of safe, but it's also problematic. There, there, there are two there are two comedic things that that come to mind. The first is, again, a, a Saturday Night Live routine um, where uh, the, 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 the actors were making fun of the new trend in the 1980s and 90s of authentically describing, uh, authentically using accents to talk about words. So, you know, instead of saying burrito, they'd say burrito, mm-hmm. right? A very mm-hmm. exaggerated. And then in, the joke is they, they're talking about Bob Costas, right? And it's very, very funny. And then there's an episode of the sitcom community where 
for reasons not worth getting into this, the, uh, the, the stars of the show are fighting with this, these German exchange students and they get them in trouble by taking photos of them at an Oktoberfest festival. And, and the rule at, at the community college is you can celebrate other people's culture, but you're not allowed to celebrate your own. If you're <laughs> Jewish and you want to celebrate Ramadan, that's okay. But if you're Jewish and you celebrate Hanukkah, that's bad. And so the Germans were in trouble for celebrating themselves rather than someone else. And A, I think that's brilliant. (laughs) But B, it's incredibly funny and ironic in the way that good comedy reveals something about ourselves and our culture that maybe we couldn't put our finger on, but that once identified gets us a little embarrassed by our close-mindedness, our stupidity, or Mm. unwillingness to see other people. I wonder, too, about this idea where he is very much addressing the fact that there has been a lot of criticism over the years towards the jokes that he tells and addresses it. And then, like we've both mentioned, he says it's going to get a lot worse from here. Um, but then at the end, you know, he does say he's he's not going to do this anymore uh, until everyone is sure that we're laughing for the right reasons. Are are we at a point in cancel culture and in art where it becomes the tail wagging the dog? Well, first of all, I think that you and I really need to set aside a time and and, and talk on philosophical currents about cancel culture because mm. it comes up repeatedly in our yeah, discussions. It does. Also, also, I think that there's something problematic and ironic about trying to cancel – and I don't like the term – but trying to cancel – Dave Chappelle for responding to the people who are trying to cancel him, right? I mean, he is defending himself again, perhaps wrongly, perhaps poorly, but he is defending himself against the attacks. And to say he's not allowed to defend himself and take him off Netflix is ironic and problematic. At the same time, he is daring people to cancel him, right? He is he is using the cancel culture as a uh what's the word as a step stool almost you know to 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 get people he knew what he was doing and you know there are times when you do that and it it goes wrong and you're going to have to be punished for that he does say at one point that in passing that you know he gets insulted on twitter a lot and that doesn't bother him cuz twitter isn't a real place right. yeah. <laughs> and i actually i loved that moment because i was like That's true. (laughs) Twitter isn't a real place. We can choose not to care about it, just like we can choose to not care about what our neighbors say or or what the culture says about our sexuality or our religion. It's hard. It takes a lot of energy and a lot of strength. And clearly he hasn't been able to not care because he has spent an entire, you know, special responding to this. But if cancel culture is a part of our culture, then the most daring, both the most daring comedians and the laziest comedians are going to use it to try to get attention. And the hard part is distinguishing between the best comedians and the laziest comedians, because that's sometimes going to differ by opinion. And whatever else you say about Dave Chappelle, he is not lazy and he is not dumb. And this is a very, very well thought out special, even if in the end it fails and crosses some lines. 
Dr. Jack Russell Weinstein is the host of Why Philosophical Discussions About Everyday Life, and he joins us periodically to get a philosopher's take on news events. Thanks for joining us today. I'm happy to be here doing Philosophical Currents is one of my favorite parts of the month.